1: You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind.
2: This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay, and the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on, like, Instagram. Check it out. I've got some really good summer deals, and check out their Snap Deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments, maybe some patch chords. Cool. Hey, everyone. It's me, D.B. Spitzer, and I just wanted to say this is uh, an ad for golden goat cbd i just want to say about a month or so ago i switched to starting to use cbd to help me out a little bit with my anxiety and i have to say it's been i have to say it's been helping out quite a bit check out golden goat cbd in the show notes And while you're at it check out copper cow it's a a vietnamese pour over highly recommend it copper cow golden goat check them both out in The show listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. in farmer days. Here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian-leaning. Once more, we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again, we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Very cool. Nice. So, yeah, hey, Dave, uh, how's, how's it going with, uh, with you these days? How's everything out at... <laughs> sounds like you have the... Uh, R- Ralph, Ralph is Ralph doing Ralph's well. Ralph is
3: doing well, yeah. Ralph is doing very well. But other than that, I am I am doing well.
2: Very cool, very cool. Uh, yeah, no, um, things are going pretty well over by the funeral park, as as we're calling it these days. Um, yeah, things things are kind of calm around here. Nothing crazy going on. So I figured, hey, this is a good week to definitely do the. Uh, I don't know. Let's let's uh let's knock out a few episodes. Let's let's uh let's talk about Atlantis. Let's Atlantis. 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 Yeah, let's a- let's let's go with uh the next thing on the list and you know, after Atlantis, n- I figure Atlantis and then um or however uh however Clark Ashton Smith wanted to pronounce it, which I uh, how, do, how How is it commonly supposed to be pronounced?
3: Like So I'm the last person you should ask sure. to pronounce anything, especially if something that might supposedly be French. Uh-huh. So I think
0: mm-hmm.
3: that the real place in France that he based it on is Aragon. And that his was called Aragon, but there's a couple letters different. And to be honest... It was only up to about a year ago that I realized that that it's a different place than the the real province of France. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay.
2: All right. So uh, we're going to be talking about that, or you're mostly going to be talking. I'm going to be listening because all I really know is there's some short stories, some fragment stories, and a real place that shares a similar name, and a cheese. That's 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 what I always bring to the table whenever. See, so, so anyone... you
3: even know you know more about the cheese than I do. Yeah,
2: yeah. This is what I what, what I bring to the table whenever anyone talks about this stuff is I can, I can bl- bring up blue de Vin, which is an amazingly creamy blue cheese from Auvin, France. Uh, which I, I imagine Clark Ashton Smith's version also makes a blue cheese, but maybe a bit more spooky.
3: <laughs> maybe maybe, it, maybe instead of blue, it's Colorado Space
2: Cheese. Ooh, I don't know about that, but yeah. Um, all right, so uh, we're going to be doing that. So and and then on D and D and D and D, we're going to be talking about using Atlantis in your game. But yeah, uh, you're talking to from
3: Ensmith Gold. Ensmith Gold, yeah, it's a podcast yeah. that is. Is even though they are actually English, uh-huh. it's broadcast out of Innsmouth, Massachusetts. And where you get to, it's a, a basically a virtual tour nice. of the Lovecraft City.
2: This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between...
3: well we are back and i am really excited about our our next guest uh this is all the way over from uh england is rob
1: poyton uh rob maybe if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself hi david thanks for asking me on it's uh, really nice to meet you and talk to you yeah i'm based in england i'm from london originally though these days i live more out in sort of rural area of uh, bedfordshire I'm a musician and a writer, and I also uh, teach martial arts and fitness as my kind of day job. And about, I guess it's about five or six years ago, I set up something called Innsmouth Gold, which was really to, as, as a vehicle to put out some music that I was doing. I've put out three albums of sort of Lovecraftian and Soundscapes, uh, that kind of thing. And that also became a vehicle for writing as well. I decided to have a go at writing some ghost stories and things took off from there. So now through Innsmouth Gold, I published my own anthologies and novels, uh, such as Innsmouth Echoes is a, a collection of stories set around Innsmouth. I have a sword and sorcery series, uh, The Wolf Would Be King, but also we started doing anthologies as well. We've got three anthologies out now. The last one is called Portraits of Terror, or the latest one, uh, and that's featuring stories from people like Peter Rulick, Glen Owen Barris, John DeLauter, Ben Crawford, uh, some names that maybe some people will be familiar with in Lovecraftian circles. So that's Baton. Okay. That. Oh, excellent. And so if somebody
3: was interested in getting one of these books or maybe some of your music, how could they do that?
1: The books are all up on Amazon and similar sites, or they can go direct to my own site, which is insmouthgold.com. And there's the books and the music and some other things there. Uh, and then also- hey, we'll definitely I... have some links in the show notes. Oh, great, excellent, thank you, thank you. And then the other thing we've started doing just recently is a podcast called the Innsmouth Book Club, where uh, my co-host, John Chadwick and I, the, the idea is we kind of set it up as a tour of Innsmouth, so we take you to Innsmouth Library for example to read a book and talk about it, or we visit Innsmouth Cinema to talk about a film, or we have a guest in the Gilman House, um, we, we've had some good guests on so far, usually writers uh, and other authors. So that's, uh, that's been going, I guess, all well. we're up to episode 23, so about six months now I suppose.
3: Excellent. So, part of our thing is we have this sort of fictitious town in uh, northern Oregon called Oleander where, uh, you know, the mayor may or may not be a time-traveling super-villain and, you know, the the local uh, uh, restaurant has goats that drink blood. So <laughs> nice. it's kind, of, kind of the same <laughs> sort of town. We, we might be a little bit more humorous, but I love the idea.
1: Uh, of of a tour of Innsmouth I think it just gives it and and the same as what you're doing there it just gives it a little more background and interest isn't it rather than you know just listening to two guys sit and talk about stuff it it just adds a little bit of fun into it I think Uh, absolutely so we could talk a little bit about Lovecraft um
3: and why he is so popular now um so i have two theories one sort of the physical theory of how his stories were preserved the other was you know the effect of his writing but i'm kind of curious first how is lovecraft accepted in in england
1: i would say there's a quite a a sort of big lovecraftian community here we've got uh, there's a facebook group called hpl uk which a friend uh, of mine called mark jenkins set up uh, he's involved in the steampunk community and he was setting up a lot of steampunk events and a lot of lovecraftian people started drifting into that so um before lockdown and the pandemic we were actually talking about organizing a uk lovecraft festival uh, because we're so jealous of you guys in the States, you've got Necronomicon and the Lovecraft Film Festival and all these great things going on, uh, so we wanted to do something similar over here and then of course, <laughs> fate intervened, so that's all on hold Yeah but, but we think in general there's a big interest here in ghost stories and horror and that kind of stuff and, and Lovecraft forms a big part of that
3: Excellent, excellent and you know, there there's always been sort of a and an English contingent, you know, with Ramsey and, and so many English writers getting on, maybe not ro- during Lovecraft's lifetime, but shortly after. Um, so why do you think Lovecraft is still around when thousands and thousands of pulp writers
1: at the time have literally disappeared? It's an interesting, and it's something that's fascinated me, and we ask pretty much every guest who comes on, on our show about it as well. Because when when you look at it in one way, Lovecraft in his lifetime was very obscure, right? He wrote for the Pulps. I think he only had one book published in his lifetime, which was uh, Shadow over Innsmouth that sold, I think, 200 copies and the printer went bust. Um, his writing style is uh, different, let's put it like that. It's, it's certainly not of its time in some ways. But... Uh, there's no real main characters. The plots are sometimes quite straightforward. There's very little characterization and action. And then of course we have all the, the the racism and xenophobia issues as well. So sometimes I think, how on earth did this stuff get so popular? But then on the other side of that, I think the simple answer is he just invented a whole new genre that completely fits in with the modern mindset. Uh, pretty much everything up to that point had been along gothic lines of good versus evil so you have the the, the dracula or the wolf man or the ghost or the cursed whatever uh, and lovecraft just took it to this cosmic level and basically presented an indifferent cosmos rather than this one where if you hold a crucifix then you've got a protection from some deity uh, in lovecraft there's <laughs> well if there is a deity it's more likely to eat you than help you so Uh, i I think that's touched something in the modern psyche ralph the rooster agrees with you
3: (laughs) so i don't know if you heard him but he he was agreeing there definitely i think that lovecraft tapped on into something that would almost uh, in the 70s on would sort of be much more Palpable, more, more you feel it and it's that, that the universe doesn't care about you and you are any but different and not conforming. You are an outsider. And I think that really appealed to so many groups from the 70s on that, you know, just like the outsider or, you know, Shadow over Innsmouth. You are different and they don't accept you. How do you deal with it? And I think that
1: really appealed to people. Totally, and I think it also came through the, the sort of existentialists, I mean, people like uh, Colin Wilson in the 60s were name dropping Lovecraft, uh, and it ties in with that whole movement as well, and there's a very good book by um, Gary Lackman called Turn Off Your Mind, where he looks at the, the dark side of the 60s counterculture, and there's a chapter in there on Lovecraft, and um, Because of that time, you had like the paperback revolution. So suddenly the the market was flooded with all these different types of paperback. There was a huge upsurge of interest in fantasy, science fiction, Tolkien, that kind of stuff. And also a huge surge of interest in the occult or alternative religions and alternative viewpoints. And I think Lovecraft came in on that wave as well in in the 60s and 70s. I think that was his first I think at one time he was almost the best-selling author. I was reading somewhere. Um, yeah, someone in 19 by 1970 had been translated into French, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, German, and Polish, which is quite incredible, really. Uh, yes,
3: a, a and in the 70s thing. was when I believe it was Del
1: Rey started doing the trade paperbacks.
3: Yeah, and the mass yeah. mass production.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think that was the first. Big sort of wave. I mean, that's why I, when I got into it, it was in the, the 70s, I guess. Uh, I, I got into Robert E. Howard first, and then I think there was a mention in one of the Conan paperbacks about Lovecraft. So I, I kind of looked out for his stuff and, and got into it through that. Um, then I think that continued and was boosted in the 80s by gaming. Actually, I think that was a big influence as well. absolutely agree with you on that. Yeah.
3: absolutely think that Chaosium introduced Lovecraft to this brand new group of people that were by nature, and I say this with love, were geeks. But absolutely, (laughs) I believe that especially Chaosium Games and even the influence on D&D, you know, Gaiax was a huge Lovecraft fan,
0: really
1: had a lot to bring it back into eventually mainstream. Yeah. And I think that's interesting you say there, because I mean, I, I started playing, well, sort of tabletop war gaming and then into D&D, sort of late 70s, and you, you, it was something you almost hid, <laughs> you know? You, you didn't go around wearing the Dungeons and Dragons t-shirt <laughs> unless you wanted, you know, some aggravation. Um, G- Gary Gygax's wife followed him
3: because he kept it so secret that he was doing tabletop games. She thought he was cheating on him.
1: Oh, wow! I didn't know that. That's amazing. (laughs) Wow, that's incredible. And and that's kind of like what it was like at the time, you know. So that outsiderness, I I guess, held an appeal. And and like you say, Gygax, I mean, he he mentions, uh, I think Lovecraft is certainly in Appendix N, right, as one of the biggest influences on D&D. So when Call of Cthulhu came out in, was it, early 80s, 81, something like that? Yeah, right about there, right about there Yeah, and it was such a good game Well, still is, such a good game system as well I think and, that... and it
3: gave sort of a more For people that wanted more than just hack and slash Definitely It was, it was, the, 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 it was back then it was the main driving alternative And I, I think that a lot of people If they did not maybe play the game They at least discussed the game with somebody that played it
1: yeah yeah i think you're right and that investigative angle really caught a lot of people's imagination i think i mean you can play call of cthulhu without the cthulhu stuff right you can put in you know uh serial killers or or anything really but the the, the mechanics kind of allow for that whereas D was getting a bit uh here's another dungeon we're going to kill 20 orcs and you know i mean they're, they're, it did go beyond that i think with like the the sort of raven loft uh, scenarios, especially, it was a step up. Um, but Call of Cthulhu was a totally different experience, uh, and yeah, it must have pulled a lot of new people into Lovecraft. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think
3: it did, and I think it affected a lot of, or a lot of, high school, about to go to college, college age people, that you know we're going to get into literature or academics somehow and we're going to spend time in the library so i gave them sort of something to read besides you know their textbooks
1: yeah yeah and i think the other big influence with that particular age group as well was these were probably the first generation of uh computer game programmers uh and guys who who later got into writing video games and that sort of stuff because you you can't throw a you can't throw a stone in video games without hitting Lovecraft somewhere, even if it's not a Lovecraft game as such. Uh, tremendous influence, I think. Yeah. I, I
3: think absolutely, and, and I think you're also sort of heading towards something that a, a lot of people, once it, the internet and computers became sort of open to the general public, mm. a lot of it was sort of this is my you know hobby this is my sort of um and and so lovecraft i think was very strongly influential uh in the um the the beginning of the computer age when people started making their own web pages and, and myspace pages that they started almost advertising yeah
1: yeah and that's, uh, perhaps in a way, that's a nice legacy of Lovecraft because we know he had his faults as a, as a person. Yeah. But he was always very encouraging of new young writers. I mean, even people like Fritz Leiber, I think, and Robert Bloch. Uh, um, he certainly encouraged. And I like the way that that whole Lovecraft circle, I mean, Howard and Clark Ashton Smith and the others, all shared their creations. It became something bigger than just the author and I think yeah, absolutely. maybe, yeah, that's, that's kind of a spirit that has continued, I think. Um, when I see some other fandoms, uh, I mean, I love Tolkien, and there's some great Tolkien podcasts and resources, but boy, it can be snobby, <laughs> you know? Well, everyone knows that Gil Gallard in, in the age of four, seven, three, you know, it's very, very kind of that way-minded. I find, yeah, you, you, get, you get arguments in Lovecraft circles, but, Everyone seems a little more free and easy uh, and allows people to express their own versions of the mythos or whatever it is. Yes, and I, I think that one
3: of the beautiful things about it from a writing perspective, but also I think the thing that one of the things that helps it preserve is that there is vague in a lot of things. That you can put a lot of your head canon. and so your, you know, your view of what the mythos is and the dogma of the mythos doesn't actually have to match what mine does. And, and I, there definitely was sort of this, what I call the Diluthian heresy, where okay, you know, Cthulhu is an alien and he is a water elemental. I think that by the time the eighties that people really got into the mythos, you know, in mass, they were kind of
1: over that. They said, okay, do your own thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Derleth was a bit of a double-edged sword, I suppose, in that way. I mean, to be honest, without him, we probably wouldn't know Lovecraft, right? Or it it, it wouldn't be anything like it is now. Absolutely, Um, Uh, I mean, uh, Arkham House saved Lovecraft's writings. Oh, totally, yeah, and then encourage people like Brian Lumley, right, and, and new authors as well. So you, you can't overestimate that, I, I don't think. Um, you know, yeah, it's set against that. You have, you have that derlethian sort of view, don't they? the elements and that kind of stuff. But I think you're totally right. People can accept that or not accept it and move on and express their own ideas. And I think a big part of that is because Lovecraft never formalized any of this i mean even within his own writings there's contradictions right um which i think makes it more real if that's a word to use <laughs> you know whereas tolkien is like set in stone uh and i can't imagine to write tolkien's fan fiction you must have to know so much about it um the, the, the sort of finer details i think lovecraft a, allows you to to sort of slap your paint around a bit more. <laughs> I people putting it like that.
3: <laughs> I was having a discussion with one of my friends. You know, and, and you're absolutely right. It, it, it makes it more believable. But I love the trope of the unreliable narrator. Oh yeah. yeah. I love that. You know, is this guy crazy or, you know, he, he's contradicting this for that? That I just I think adds to the beauty and the layers of the stories is this unreliable narrator.
1: Yes, yes, I, I, I totally agree on that. And I think it's just one of the many tropes that Lovecraft pretty much invented. Again, I think it's difficult to watch a horror film from the last 50 years or so and not have a Lovecraft trope in there somewhere. I mean, the obvious thing that people think tentacles, right, which is the most obvious and probably superficial one. But when you look back and, and go through the stories and study them, Oh, like this, 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 and some of them might seem seem sort of cliched now, but when he wrote those, there nothing before had really done that.
3: We they, had haunted, they were very fresh.
1: Yeah, yeah, we had haunted castles, didn't we, and ghostly monks or whatever, you know, but but nothing like this really. Yeah, where where um, this whole
3: thought you know the the, the universe doesn't care about you. Yeah. At the best, you know, you're gonna. The universe, it's not the universe's fault that you can't breathe underwater or <laughs> breathe in a vacuum. It's not personal, you know, and, and it's the the lowercase gods that rule this universe, uh, they're the same way, you know, you're the fly. If you bite them, yeah, he'll, they'll, they'll, they'll um, you know, swat
1: at you, but otherwise, you know, they just step on you and go about their day, didn't even notice yeah it's not even like a malevolent thing right it's just like we tread on an ant you don't you know it's just an ant right it's you didn't mean to tread on it perhaps but it doesn't mean anything to you um i think that's that's a very powerful thing and um oh there was another thing i was gonna say there I'll, I'll i'll come back to that but um that makes it interesting in that in lovecraft there's no real heroes i mean robert e howard we get people like conan or cole or solomon kane most fantasy is based on a sort of hero idea or the hero's quest or something uh yet lovecraft I'm, I'm sort of struggling to think of a happy ending in lovecraft anywhere even something like the dunwich horror they they get rid of the monster or send the twin back but you still get a sense of that's just a temporary respite um and it, it Somewhere down the line, it's not going to end well. Oh, that was the other thing. The other great trope that I really appealed to me, and I've used it a couple of times, is this idea that mankind was made like an accident. It was just an accident. Uh, one of the great old ones knocked a test tube over, and it fell into a petri dish. <laughs> you know, and that's that's humans, or we're an offshoot of like deep ones and shogoths and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's that's a really sort of visceral, powerful
3: idea i think no oh absolutely and i think that's one of the reasons i mean there were obviously lovecraft stories that, that he destroyed that we never got and there were thousands you know well not thousands but there are dozens of stuff that that he started that you know daryl finished or rewrote but he was very he was a craftsman yeah. and he yeah. would spend all this time on this story until he got it to where he wanted it to be and I think that's I think people see that I think that's one of the other reasons why he's an Uh our endurance is because of his he's such a craftsman
1: yeah I agree and as much as I love Robert E. Howard for example he, Howard was not above rewriting a story or giving it another setting just to get it published or changing things Uh, And Lovecraft from what I've read was, no, this is it. You know, if he had to change anything, it was like pulling teeth uh, because he had put that amount of thought and craft into it. Um, And that's, I think interesting, that comes across as well when you see the respect that Lovecraft is given by other writers. I mean, Stephen King would be uh, an obvious example, Uh, Alan Moore, Colin Wilson, uh, people like Guillermo del Toro, everyone looks back to lovecraft um and that's been a, a big influence as well i guess in his continued in his growing popularity definitely so
3: De- uh, definitely well we are about running out of time but i really enjoyed this and we really want to have you back because there's so much more on this topic uh, but uh, let me ask you this. Is there anything maybe you want last you want to share about Lovecraft or?
1: Oh, I, I think you're right. There's so many ways we can go. I mean, another favorite author of mine was Robert Anton Wilson, who put Lovecraft in his Illuminatus Conspiracy trilogy. And I think York Sothoth is in there as well. And how Lovecraft fits into modern conspiracy theory, or I think about things like the Niallathatep coming back. How Niallathatep influences mankind through technology. There's so many parallels there. It's a, it's a very rich area for discussion. I think. Oh, absolutely, and we will definitely have you back. But
3: if uh, you could just remind everybody where they could uh, hear and
1: read you. Sure. So it's www.insmithgold.com and there's links there to uh, our books, uh, the CDs and music, and also to the Innsmouth Book Club podcast. That goes out every fortnight. We've just recorded issue 23, uh, where we talk about the White Ship, and we've got an interview with a local paranormal group as well. A a real-life ghost hunter has come on the show and is chatting to us about some local legends and ghost lore. So that that was a fun chat. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we will definitely have... Uh, the uh, links in our show notes, and can't wait to have you back. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, David. It's been a real pleasure. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks very much for asking me on. A A great interview. Thank you.
2: Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends thank you for listening back to the show hey everyone it's me db new sponsor on the show Clary. glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers are you looking for good prices free shipping 100 percent quality guarantee glary's got you covered guitars bass guitars mandolins they've got saxophones trumpets drums they've got guitar cases amplifiers all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap check out the show notes to find more about glary 20 watt amplifiers for under 50 dollars hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80 guitars themselves for under 90 dollars come on folks check out the show notes Get a glary.
0: Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your hosts. Derek M. Cook and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic Monster Movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price and Joel Hodgson listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon Island of Terror and King Kong and don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival Classic Monsters Modern Talk and the head of Rondo Hatton only on Monster Kid Radio
2: You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Oh, my brain! It's not working right now. Dave, what are we doing next?
3: So we are talking about Avion and Avion.
2: Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. So what's,
3: what's what's the dealio? What's what's going on with those? So, um, and right now there are people who actually speak French or know how to pronounce things that they're yelling at me. Um, but so... Avignon is a real area in France. Okay, and historically, it's known for two things. So this was the seat of the power of the French popes, or also known as the anti-popes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so basically, there was at one time, two popes. There was a pope in France, and there was a pope in, in Rome, okay. both claiming they have divine power. Sure. So they basically said, well, we'll settle this. We'll ask the Germans, because, you know, when in doubt, ask the Germans. <laughs> yeah. And they'll decide which one's the pope. And the Germans turned around and said, we have our own pope. So now there were three popes. Um, and so, you know, the people, the traditional sort of Roman Catholics, like, these were the evil false popes um so there's always sort of that but the other was a creature called the beast of avion mm-hmm. and i'm not sure if you've ever heard of that
2: yes yes i have
3: okay um so um the beast of avion is for lack of a um better word um a um werewolf yeah uh now it was there's obviously mass hysteria uh, here, but it was a creature which terrorized France. And it's kind of like the ghost in the darkness. You know, they, they say yeah, they killed hundreds and hundreds of people.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: No, it probably be, maybe killed a dozen. Um, but this, the entire country got so excited that the king was going to send somebody out and there were hunters try to to hunt this creature down um so there was there was a creature and whether or not it was a werewolf yeah but one of the interesting theories and there are tons of theories Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. is hundreds of years later is a lot of the stories say that it had white feet why is that important david you ask you can ask
2: that if you like. Oh, why is that important, David?
3: And so, white feet is a common trait among wolf dog hybrids.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: So, a wolf is not very likely to attack a human being, but wolf dog hybrids are are much more aggressive. Okay. Uh, and there's even a thought that maybe that somebody might have bred them on purpose to go ahead and hunt down civilians. Hmm. Because there were only, like, one person in the whole area, because what quite a while ago, that had a gun. And so there's a lot of theories that maybe it was the nobles hunting them down. Yeah. Um, it could have been anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely, I think, mass hysteria sure. was also involved. Okay. Now, Clark Ashton Smith Mm -hmm. He writes a story called The Beast of Erivon, or however he pronounces it. Yeah. Okay. Spoilers. So so there's going to be spoilers.
2: Spoiler alerts to everyone.
3: Yeah. In in this, what, 80 year old story? Yeah, I was going to say
2: 100 year old, 90 year old story.
3: (laughs) So in his, and this is kind of interesting. Because he blends, he blends cosmic horror mm-hmm. as well as traditional folk horror together. Um, and so there's a, a comet coming across the sky, and there's this creature that starts killing animals. It you know, first kills you know, deer's and goats and then cows, and eventually starts moving up to humans, and killing them. Uh, and, and sucking out. Uh, the marrow and the bones and I think like the, the, uh, the, the spinal fluid or something. Yeah. And so instead of a werewolf, it looks like a man, but it's got like a serpent snake head. Ooh. Um, and it starts and, and it kills the, the, the monk who sees it. So you think, Oh, this is going to be the main character. Nah, he's dead. <laughs> um, and so, um, they, they, you know, this abbey's under attack, and this, so they go to a, a a magician, yeah, who who deals with sort of more traditional dark ages demons, okay, and he makes a deal with this demon to fight this beast, uh, and so they chase it to the the abbey and he has this demon basically trapped in a ring, and he, he breaks open the ring, and it frees this th- this demon who fights this creature, and it turns out that the, the creature is the, the abbot of the abbey, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know that. It's some sort of um, very, very lovecraftian creature, so it's in a spiritual form until it can enter like a human body, mm-hmm. and then it and then it sort of body horror cha- uh, changes it into this creature. But the, the human doesn't know it's happening. Okay. And, and so the, eventually the, the demon defeats the creature. And then it's freed. And it's been, you know, since Hyborian times, they've been trapped in this magic ring. Um, and then the, the comet leaves. And so we don't have to deal with this creature again until the comet returns. it was very interesting in that it was a, a definitely a magic versus magic story that that you don't see that much in Lovecraft. You know, they got the elder Sign or something, but you don't really see the humans using magic to fight the mythos.
2: Yeah, no, no, unless it's like, you know, something straight out of the Necronomicon or something, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. Um, on one second, hopefully this doesn't crash everything. Okay, cool. All right. So yeah, um, what else do we know about this area? What else is there? Uh, there's there's a. Oh, my brain is so there's there's uh, I, I feel like if you uh, check out there's a lot of uh, a lot of fragments and bits and pieces of unformed stories about 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 this region and one thing that i've noticed quite a bit is there is a lot of uh mention of devils but also kind of like lovecraftian type stuff like satagua but you also have like it's 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 like the devil versus the cthulhu mythos in some ways versus humanity and humanity some of it maybe has descended from uh Atlantis or uh, other Hyperborean uh, subcontinents that no longer exist. And this is, you know, one reason why
3: this area is so special. Yeah, And I, I believe, like I said, uh, this is the one that I sort of... And of the the, the three of the unholy trinity, uh-huh. uh, you know, Robert E. Howard, Lovecraft, and Clark Ashton Smith, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm the least knowledgeable of Smith. I've only really picked up information on him in the, the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I believe, you know, and he definitely follows Howard's example of having cycles yeah. and, and stories, you know, things coming from different times. He and so I believe, and then this is where I'm going to get hate mail again, that this may have been where, say, the Hyborians, after, you know, Hyperborea was frozen over, they may have ended up there, just to sort of keep his cycle. But I'm sure I'll get hate mail explaining to me uh, uh, why I was wrong on that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know what, Dave? That's probably not why you'll get hate mail. <laughs> it's always for stuff you're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> anyway, uh...
3: but but definitely we know that, in um, a lot of ways, I think Smith had his problems. Yeah, uh, he probably like I think Howard was probably autistic. Yeah. But at the same time, he was more cosmopolitan than the other two. Mm-hmm. So And we, he obviously knew of the real city because he was mm-hmm. the beast. and, and he, he, he knew his history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that he definitely drew from the historical province. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah, no, it's pretty fun stuff Pretty fun stuff I I, I encourage people to definitely uh, Check out Clark Ashton Smith And his, I don't know uh, Not necessarily lesser known works But maybe works that we haven't Necessarily emphasized here On the show as much as we have Say the Hyperborean stuff Or Yeah, the Hyperborean stuff, which is like I don't know, I love the seven geists that's, that's, that's something I'm never going to uh, Stop saying
3: all right, uh, and, and uh, real quickly, something that we have discussed in the sure. past, yeah. is the D and D module Castle Amber,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: yeah, which is, is is set and at least the D and D version of Aragon, yeah, and it's the it's the one adventure that is based on you know uh, Clark Smith's universe here yeah
2: yeah no no i think we've talked about that in a past episode of i don't know uh radio free oleander dave's corner of the podcast uh dave's underground goat shenanigans but i it, it may maybe even a black clock audio tale i'm not quite sure but i know that we've talked about it, that specific thing at one point in time but yeah uh and if you can find it it's it's out there folks Uh PDF. It's reprinted. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh reprinted, but you know, there's also PDFs if uh, that's the Mm -hmm. kind of thing that you like.
3: So so absolutely definitely on the the PDF. Mm -hmm. But the the Goodman press is is it's a little expensive because it's hardbound. Yeah. It has the original adventure. It has some things that were sort of left up to the 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 dungeon master's imagination. Mm -hmm. Uh you know uh filled in but it also includes a really good essay on Clark Ashton Smith.
2: Okay, cool. Very cool. All right. So up next we are going to be talking about Atlantis on another edition of D&D on D&D. All right, here we go. <laughs> Hey everyone it is me db spitzer and right over here to my virtual right we've got dave dave how's it going i am virtually well all right so yeah we're talking about atlantis and i think a little bit before the show you were talking about gurps has uh, three flavors of atlantis
3: yeah, so there actually is a Gerp's book, mm-hmm. probably published about 15 years ago. Sure. Um, one of the last things that was for the third edition, mm-hmm. and it is called Atlantis. Um, so the first part is sort of like how to run an underwater campaign. Okay. The next part is the setting, basically a traditional Greek Atlantis before you know the, the before it's destroyed. Sure. The next is that the Atlantis survived as a cult, uh, a cult, or a cult, or sort of a, uh, for a GURPS Illuminati, mm-hmm. where it's a secret organization uh, that is a master of psionics. Oh, cool. And then the last one sort of combines both, uh, well, it is a steampunk or superhero. So you could run it either very steampunk sort of uh Ignatius Donnelly's version of what he thought Atlantis looked like. Yeah. Which, you know, you see in, like, Disney's Atlantis. <laughs> uh, or you could take the steampunk part out and just use it in a traditional Supers campaign.
2: Oh, very cool, very cool. I have a personal Atlantis that I like to use. That is none of those three. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the LucasArts classic fate of Indiana Jones and the fate of Atlantis.
3: So I am aware of it. Okay. But I do not... That's my limit of knowledge.
2: So pretty much we're talking about the ruins of a a, a city a, 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 a city that is high-tech, like more high-tech than, say, uh, Bronze Age. Um, like, almost like Renaissance level technology but also is like some magic-y bits that deal with alchemy type stuff and using energy and that kind of stuff so but otherwise it's like kind of like slightly higher tech than hellenistic era you know anyway uh it's it's like hellenistic with uh medieval elements thrown in but everything's made out of stone or whatever's left is like made stuff made out of stone so it's very convenient that you know anyway but i i I think kind of like a post-apocalyptic um yeah of course i love post-apocalyptic stuff but um treating atlantis much like um the uh the 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 city in at the mountains of madness you know or or treating it like a post-apocalyptic like You know, it it, it rises up from the ocean, like the island in Dagon or Call of Cthulhu. And you have like the ruins of Atlantis come up or resubmerge for some reason. And then you have like, you know, the the city that Plato describes, uh, the city that uh, people talk about, or like the ruins of whatever everyone's like imagining Atlantis to be like. But I, I don't know, I always think it's like, Having or or like draining water away, and then finding that Atlantis has like been there the whole time, kind of like the end of uh, the Castle of Cagliostro with the Roman city. That's like anyway, but uh, those 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 are cool ways that I like to use Atlantis.
3: Well, those are definitely cool ways. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking. You know, you could have like uh, uh, like say. Is almost any system you could have like a one shot. Oh yeah. In Atlantis, so deep in your heart, deep in the back of their meta mind, Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. players know. Oh, this place is gonna get destroyed. I gotta get ready. (laughs) But you know, you gotta, you gotta solve the mystery first. Yeah, uh, but hey,
2: you know what? If you're playing a fantasy RPG. You might have a city that's like Atlantis that isn't gonna get destroyed any point in time soon. Just you know, it's 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 the city on the water. It's the city underwater, and you can populate it with uh, underwater elves, with humanoids that are you know like I don't know, I don't know high elves, elves that kind of stuff. I uh, humans that are just like uh, we don't like that kind of stuff or you know whatever. <laughs> Isolationists. I, I guess I'm trying to say, yeah.
3: You know, and if you're, let's say, let's say that you're uh, doing a, a call of Cthulhu, mm-hmm. probably a modern, but maybe even a '20s with, you know, those those dive helmets and everything. Oh, sure, yeah. Y- you could use um, the temple. Thank you. I can't believe I I forgot that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you could do expediting or ex, uh, expedition to the temple.
2: Yeah, oh
3: yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, things start happening.
2: Yeah, mash the temple up with uh, At the Mountains of Madness, and <laughs> madness ensues. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a pretty cool thing to do. Uh, Call of Cthulhu games, yeah, there's, there's an interesting way to uh, introduce atlantis especially if you have a group of people who are terrified of the water because of deep ones or something or they're expecting deep ones and you have a fake out or or you're just telling them oh yeah yeah no there's the city that's like if you go off here off the coast of greece and you go out this way there's ruins of this city and you know they're expecting deep ones and stuff like that but it's just like ancient ruins that maybe has some uh some stuff that people need to know etched in something that they have to dive
3: down to. I don't know. You
2: know Just and, an idea. Instead
3: of the instead of the deep ones, and you're right. You guys are going underwater exploring. Oh, it's going to be the deep ones. Uh, gloon is associated with dolphins. So do what Lovecraft did. You know, with the, the penguins in the mountains of madness. Yeah. And make them like carnivorous, sharp-toothed dolphins. <laughs> I never see it coming. Yeah. <laughs> you know they find they find this this this, uh you know they find this body of this great white shark it's all chewed up well you know what got it i don't know but my new friend flipper
2: (laughs) yeah the locals don't seem to talk about this place because the locals don't survive this place to talk about it people started staying away from it a long time ago yeah no um there's, there's, You could always do uh, Atlantis uh, living alongside modern humanity, but we don't know it either because of the Prince Namor kind of Aquaman, kind of city under, under a bubble kind of thing, or you could do it even kind of like... Oh, there's Ralph. You could even the do Ralph it... Ralph likes that idea. Oh, yeah. You could even do it as like maybe... Um, I don't know. It uh, exists. It floats upon the water, but... It's invisible to outsiders for some reason,
3: unless maybe and, and, you crash onto like a, it or
2: something. But.
3: There, there was a, a, a sort of a Japanese uh, a kaiju movie like that, where you know there was a city, but they couldn't detect it there.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, so there, there's yeah a lot of ideas there that are where, where you could use, uh, especially I think. You're right, Neymar, you know, or DC's Aquaman Atlantis. I think it really does set itself open for a Supers game.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. And I have to say, if uh, research I did as a small child on Atlantis, I feel like there was a ton of shows like In Search of with Leonard Nimoy, uh, kind of. The uh,
3: Man from Atlantis. Yeah. With Bobby Ewing yeah, yeah there's
2: there was all kinds of stuff about atlantis on like you know I was gonna say network television but i I, I, I could just say television because that's all there was at the time yeah. the three channels <laughs> and
3: uh and, yeah and, and a lot of that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I don't I think we've discussed him uh before sure but um a lot of this comes from um, I'm having a second brain freeze <laughs> Of the show Please send uh, Hate mail to
2: Are we talking David Rip- Rip- Carrow No not Ripley's believe it or
3: not um. yeah. oh, man. <laughs> Charles Berlitz Okay So Ch- Charles Berlitz And I'm sure that we have discussed that before but Charles Berlitz was the descendant of um, – he, or he was the heir of the Berlitz language company. Okay. And so he he was rich, mm-hmm. and he was intelligent. I mean he spoke like seven or eight languages fluently. Yeah. But even John the Mothman Kiel <laughs> thought this guy was way out there. <laughs> Uh, and so, Berlitz wrote in the 70s, uh-huh. and they made it into a movie, um, The Bermuda Triangle.
2: Okay, yeah.
3: yeah. Uh, and, and you can still get it, and it, it, it's got, it, it's really cheesy. I remember, like, when it first came out, my parents, you know, packed me and my little sister into this <laughs> car, car. We watched it in the drive in. It uh-huh. it's a real cheesy movie, but I watched it about a year ago, and it was still pretty good. Yeah. But that's where. The Philadelphia Experiment mm-hmm. sort of got public knowledge. Yeah. But Burlett definitely, definitely believed in Atlantis. And he thought Atlantis had something to do with this. So he sold a lot of books in the 70s that were with basically um, letter name on search of type level investigation. So there definitely was sort of this... Uh, reaching out in the 70s, sort of this hippie conspiracy theory. Yeah. Uh, about So you're going to find a lot of good stuff. And the 70s is just this awesome decade to, to put, um, uh, to set a, uh, a role-playing game in. Yeah, yeah.
2: Also, I want to say that uh, 70s, definitely, you have this rebirth of things, like people like okay like uh, pizza parlors playing like uh silent films uh people really kind of getting into like old old silent movies again like kind of a resurgence of like 20s and 30s culture in pop culture like in television and in advertising a lot of art deco in advertising and uh one thing that i felt like also came out of that was like um with like this kind of like in search of and bermuda triangles and ufos is kind of like a a, a love of the classic love of like pulps and like the the thematic nature of pulps and like you know like uh film noir came back into style in the 70s like people really kind of got into like that kind of stuff and I want to say, like, Pulps were part of that. and Or maybe that's one reason why Pulps kind of came back into fashion, which then I really feel like kind of led the way into, like, people getting excited about, like, superheroes or people were like, well, you know, if people care so much about these like uh, de- this detective stuff, why don't we uh, make a Superman movie,
3: huh? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But... Yeah, definitely. We know, too, that, that there was all these sort of... Uh, Cheap, you know, movie version knockout. But if, if if you're going to have sort of a game that has this mass sort of you know 1970s flavor yeah. of uh, you know the Bermuda Triangle and, and UFOs and and uh, oh, oh, uh, ever you know. Everything else, mm-hmm. you got to include the Von Dymek and ancient astronauts too. Oh yeah! Now that would be this amazing, especially I think GURPS campaign. Yeah, yeah. You know, set it in the '70s and you know, wallpaper it with tie dye and and uh, you know, uh, bootleg flared pants and bell bottoms mm-hmm. and uh, so. Yeah, I think there's, uh, I mean, that's one of the nice things about Atlantis, yeah. is you could do it from a week period of time to, you know, you could do a far future living biological submarine that's finally able to go down that deep. Yeah. You have a lot of things campaigned to that.
2: Oh, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. Yeah, no, uh... I, I highly agree. I highly agree. Hey, if you out there listening have any ideas what you would do with Atlantis for a campaign, for a story, whatever, go to Facebook and check out PGTTCM, uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We're there. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Let us know what you would do for Atlantis, what you would, uh, you know, what kind of kind of thing you think would be cool. All right. All uh, right. Hey, I think that's the show for right now, Dave, is... uh,
3: I think so, too. Yeah.
2: So, uh, let's see. When this is coming out, we're going to have some more Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, Sherlock Holmes, uh, Study in Scarlet. So, that'll be cool to... uh...
3: Which is the first Sherlock Holmes story.
2: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, I don't know, um, I threw out a song that I put out there... Uh, the other day, I don't know if anyone's had a chance to listen to it. It, it. It's just me goofing off. It's, it's nothing serious. So, you know, if you don't like it, that's, that's fine. It's, it was just a goof around. I was playing with some, uh, guitar loops and, uh, drum machine, but yeah, anyway, again, thank you everyone. Uh, check the show notes to find out our guest. uh, how to find out where to go, uh, to support our sponsors, help support us. Um, We've always got new sponsors coming on, and um, yeah, uh, in September, we're going to have Things from Another World be one of our sponsors, so check out that. Uh, maybe we'll have some discounts, I'm not quite sure, but I don't know if you saw that, Dave, but Things from Another World.
3: No, I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> can, they increase the, can they increase the discount on my uh, pull box?
2: I don't know about that, but it, this is for online orders, so... <laughs> i don't know i'm just trying to find uh help help our listeners find ways to you know not necessarily give jeff bezos any more money unless he's going to take us into space with him so <laughs> all right well Jeff,
3: we're t- call us yeah
2: yeah you know we, we'll, we'll get you some of those sales if you take us up into space all right everyone so you don't
3: call us elon will
2: yeah totally dude All right. We'll see you next time, everyone. And we don't have a catchphrase for when we call off. We asked everyone. And uh, we did have stay- We should
3: just go go, leave. Bye.
2: Yeah, bye. (laughs) All right.
1: (laughs) Cool. Do you like the TV series Tales from the Crypt? Are you interested in full episode and movie reviews from Tales from the Crypt? This podcast is for you. The Good Evening Kitties podcast, where I, Melissa, your ghostess with the mostess, recap every episode with special guests and bonus horror movie reviews. The Good Evening Kitties podcast can be found on most podcast platforms. Check it out today.
2: Once again, for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, you can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening.